Well, and quiet attention as we call upon our brother Mick Roberts from the Ashba de la Zouche Ecclesia in England to come forward and speak to us on the topic, Abraham's Faithful Household. A very good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Um, very good. That's good. Thank you for that. Um, I have to say that the warmth of the welcome that we've received from the brethren and sisters of Ontario has been significantly higher than the warmth of your temperature uh, <laughs> since we arrived. Uh, we, we left uh, England with uh, something like 22, 23 degrees, uh, and we couldn't bring it in the case with us. So we, we, you have to be content with us bringing the uh, loving greetings of your brethren and sisters in the UK. Not all of them, I haven't spoken to all of them, but um, those who knew we were coming were very keen that we brought with us their, their love and fraternal greetings, particularly those of our own home ecclesia, which, as Brother Paul has, has had a go at saying, Ashby de la Zouche, uh, which, for those who don't know it, is around about in the middle of England. Um, it's about equidistant between Birmingham and, uh, and Nottingham. Uh, that's, where, uh, that's where our ecclesia is. It's been there for about 100 years or just over. We're an ecclesia of around about 54 members with what seems like 375 children. Uh, but they tell me there's about 25, but they make the noise of 325 children. But uh, we're, we're, we're blessed and we're glad to have them. Uh, it's actually our fourth visit to, uh, to Ontario. And so... Uh, well, Paul is saying he's, he recognizes lots of faces he sees once a year. Well, we recognize some faces here too, and uh, it's a delight for us to see you again uh, so soon. We were, we were across last year. And for those brothers and sisters who we've not met before, we look forward to, uh, to your fellowship and, and, and spending some time with you. We actually face our first challenge, really, uh, getting into the country um, with immigration. Uh, for Canada. And it doesn't make it easy for fraternal speakers when you, when you arrive, when you have to fill out the immigration card, because it actually asks you for the purpose of your visit. And so you, I had to choose three boxes. So I had a choice of study. I thought, well, we've got an element of study ahead of us. I had personal. Well, there's an element of building our personal relationships. And I had the option of business. And I thought, well, it's the Lord's business. I want to encourage us all to be profitable servants of our Lord. There's an element of business about this visit. So when I faced the young immigration officer and he asked me, what was the purpose of my visit? I think they're trained to spot a millisecond of hesitation. And uh, I said that we were coming to a, a Bible study. At which point he went straight in to ask me what was I bringing into the country. So I hesitated at telling him about something which was sharper than any two-edged sword. 
But they let us through. They let us through. I do hope, brothers and sisters, that the time that we're going to spend together will, uh, will be profitable. I've certainly enjoyed thinking about this theme of servants and trying to draw lessons from servants. And of course, Scripture is full of servants. Absolutely full of servants. Those who are required or those who are compelled to serve. Those who voluntarily serve. Whether it's in the Old Testament, we've been reading about Abraham's servant and Abraham's household. We're going to focus our attention shortly. Whether it's in the law, whether it's in the parables, the teachings of Jesus, whether it's in the letters and the time of slavery and servitude, the time of domestic servants. Scripture is full of servants. So there was plenty to go at. And what I've tried to do is to home in on a, on a couple of elements that I hope will be profitable for us. And I'm a great believer that whenever we do any sort of study that we really listen out for and look out for the lessons for ourselves. Particularly given that we're talking about servants and we are aspiring servants. We aim to be servants of the living God. So we can't spend the time that we're going to spend around scripture looking and talking about servants without looking out for those things that might apply to me in my walk in my discipleship. And I I hope that when we look at these things, I might throw out some rhetorical questions and I want you to also ask yourself questions as we read these things. And to keep saying to ourselves, well, what does this mean to me? How does that apply to me? How How do I measure up in my service to our Heavenly Father? So it's not just about us spending a few hours talking about servants, filling our head with a bit more knowledge and walking away. But it's how are we going to apply these things and serve even better. Maybe that guy from Immigration Canada will be there when I'm leaving the country. And he says, well, how did it go? Study? Personal? Business? And in a way, brothers and sisters, that's what we're all about over these couple of days, isn't it? Study, personal, but also business. The Lord's business. Those who want to be even more profitable in their service to their Heavenly Father. So let's begin by taking a closer look at uh, Abraham. And uh, I'm going to ask you to uh, turn back, not to the reading that we had, We'll uh, just turn in at uh, Genesis 12. Those of us with or who have had the pleasure of uh, raising children or perhaps as grandparents teaching children... If you've got one of those illustrated children's Bibles, you'll know when you're looking at Abraham that there's Abraham and Sarah. And how many servants are in the background? Quite often there's none. Or there might be one or two. And the picture books don't tell the full story. Because when we look closely, and I'm going to remind you of things that I'm sure you already know, but in Genesis we get this picture 
of an extremely wealthy man with an extremely large household of servants. We know the story well, don't we? How things begin in uh, Genesis 12, down at verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. We know down at verse 14, so it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, it was Sarah, that she was very beautiful. Princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house and he treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants female donkeys and camels. Down at chapter 13 and reading at verse 5. Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. So we know these verses well, brothers and sisters, but we get the picture. This is a huge community on the move. Since Abraham had left, he had acquired these things. There was a growing household, an entourage that were around him. And as head of that household, he had great and pressing responsibilities. They had become so great that they could not dwell together. Interesting too, isn't it, in verse 7 of this chapter, that there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites also dwelt in the land. There was disharmony. And Abraham, or Abram as he was, takes the initiative and settles the matter and offers to his younger Relation, the choice. So here's the questions that start to come, brothers and sisters. Had we been part of that entourage and part of that household of Abraham, what questions would start to come into your mind? Why is Abraham doing this? Surely Abraham, as the senior partner, should be uh, usurping his authority. Why is he behaving like this and allowing Lot to take the choice? You see, brothers and sisters, if you're part of Abram's household, there are always lessons from the head of the household. How he conducts himself, how he puts his trust in his heavenly father. Oh, to be part of that household. Abram's household will have seen so many lessons. How often would Abram have spoken to that household about the promises that he was receiving from God? When he builds an altar, what is it that his household would have said? Those servants around him, when they asked him, what is it for and why are we doing this? What opportunities he must have taken to tell them about the God whom he has served whom he had given up everything in order to follow. 
And when Abram walked the length and breadth of the land, did he do it on his own? Or did he do it with his servants? And as they walked, did they talk? Did they ask questions? Did he explain why it was that he was so confident in the choice that he had taken? His household, first-hand witnesses of a man of God trusting in his heavenly father, worshipping and sacrificing, looking forward to inheriting a land. Oh, to be part of that household. What insight must they have had of the God that we worship? Learning from Abraham to hear him talk about his communication with God. They were a long way from home, but they were close to the God of Abraham. Just turn with me to Genesis 18. Verse 16, then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I have done? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. This is interesting, isn't it, brothers and sisters? The declaration that Abraham's faithfulness, not only towards his own children, but to his household. He can be trusted with the extended household, that he will keep them in the way. Just hold that phrase, brothers and sisters. He will keep them in the way. Servants have to keep the way of the Lord. As we would be... Descendants, wouldn't we? We would seek to be part of Abraham's stock, heirs according to the promise. We have to keep the way. Abraham's servants, God was assured, would be kept in the way because of the faithfulness of Abraham. Let's turn back a little more to uh, Genesis 14. The first war in Scripture. Down at verse 13. One who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, one who had passed over. For he dwelt by the terebinth tree at Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner, 
and they were allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. So what are we getting, brothers and sisters? We're getting here this picture of a huge number of fighting men among his household, his servants, who were able to rise up and to act for the head of the household. Abraham's household called into action. And that verse 14 is an interesting one, isn't it? And maybe like me, you've asked the question, why are we told how many there are? Numbers in scripture normally have some sort of significance. Why are we told that there are 318 trained servants who were born in his own house? Now, I've seen all sorts of ideas for this, and I'll be uh, more than happy to hear what uh, you've heard, what your thoughts are on the whole matter. One of the interesting things that really uh, appealed to me, and I checked this out, not being a Hebrew scholar, I checked it out with a brother who is a Hebrew scholar. Uh, I'd heard that this was the case, and I said, I'd I'd like to know this for sure. But you know how in the Hebrew alphabet, all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet have a numerical value? Uh, Well, if you take the name of Eliezer, and the numerical value that applies to the letters in his name, you get your 318. And that may be significant, it may not be significant, but it's certainly interesting. It's certainly interesting, because Eliezer is presented to us, I believe, as the one that we read about in Genesis 24, as the entrusted, senior, long-serving servant Perhaps the one who would have been a part of this whole action. And these individuals that we read about are clearly trained men, it says. And the same word is used of you know, the Proverbs, which talks about training up a child in a way he should go. And Hebrew literally means to, to keep in a narrow way, to train them well. So we start to get the echoes and the pictures for ourselves, brothers and sisters. Abraham's household, kept in a narrow way, trained well, responsive to Abraham's word. These are the servants who had heard these things, who knew of the God of Israel through their master. And it presents, brothers and sisters, this lovely picture, doesn't it, that we get of a household of servants committed and loving the master whom they served. Ready and willing to even die for their master. And we can see the spiritual significance, can't we? Without pressing the points hard, we can see some lessons that start to emerge of what's required from a faithful household of servants the kind of people 
that they are required to be. And among other things, what else did these servants witness? Well, just look with me while we're here in, um, in chapter uh, 14. Down at verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him tithes of all. Again, brothers and sisters, we know he was an extremely rich man, wasn't it said? That the, the size of their encampment was so big that they couldn't all be together. When we think of giving tithes, was this Abram just reaching to his back pocket and taking out a few notes and putting in to a collection bag? When he gave tithes, I don't think this was just an act of, of individual action, brethren and sisters. Can we imagine that this may well have involved his servants giving tithes? What did he have? There was so much that he had that the land couldn't contain them. Giving tithes. Did he call his servants into action? What did they learn? when they were required by their master to give to Melchizedek, the prince, the king of Salem. What did they think when they handed these things over? There was bread, there was wine, there was free will offerings. Isn't it lovely, brothers and sisters, the picture that we get But I'm just keeping our eyes, if we can, on being one of those servants and seeing this happening around you. How would it feel to have a master like that? What would it be like being part of a community where there was the uh, king of Salem and bread and wine and free will offerings? The impact that there must have been upon them. And when we turn to Genesis 17, having seen these things, we find them entering into a covenant relationship. Genesis 17. Uh, We have down at verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations who is born in your house or bought with money from any stranger who is not a descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child, 
who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, brothers and sisters, imagine in the household. Imagine when this is now spoken of. Imagine when Abram comes and explains to these hundreds of men that there is now a requirement that we enter into a special relationship with my God, who I have told you about. The one who has given the promises. The one who's giving us the land that we've walked through together, do you remember? This is now what he wants you to do. As an act of commitment, as a sign of covenant. This is what I want you to do. Verse 23, so Abram took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were brought with the money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day. Now, brothers and sisters, that implies there was no resistance. There was no big debate. There was no question. There was no need for a long engagement program. There was absolute and immediate response in a positive way. That if this is what the God who you worship, Abraham, requires of us, then that's what we will do that very same day. And yet there we read in verse 24, Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised. Verse 26, that very same day, Abram was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. He didn't expect anything of them that he wasn't willing and ready to do himself. He was the role model. He demonstrated what was required. He did all that was required to fulfill all righteousness, we might say. And they followed. Obedience. So, brothers and sisters, among these great men and among these lessons, I've hopefully helped us to set a bit of a scene of the servants within the household. But there is this incident that we've read about and the servant that is singled out, really, for a particular job, a special job, a matter of life and death kind of job. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we are in our workplaces, those of us who are still in workplaces. I know, therefore, it won't apply to all of us. But those of us who have paid employment, and we sometimes come home from our paid employment, and we sit down with our sister wife, or perhaps with our brother husband, and we pour out just how important our job is. We tell them that we're dealing with a project that is just so crucial. The business is going to stand or fall by what it is that I'm working on at the moment. This could save the company thousands of dollars or lose us thousands of dollars. There's hundreds of people going to be affected by this project that I'm working on. Brethren and sisters, it's of nothing compared to the job that this man is given in Genesis 24. This is a project. This is a job like no other job. It is a matter of life and death and it's at the heart of God's master plan. In order 
that the plan might be fulfilled, we've got to find the right individual, the right wife for Abram's son. And if he's not found, then what's going to happen? And it's quite clear, brothers and sisters, when you look at, uh, at Genesis 24, when Abraham, old and well advanced in years, verse 2, calls the oldest servant of the house, the one that's been there, seen it, done it, who knew everything from start to finish, the one perhaps he feels he could trust above all others, the one who knew best just what these promises meant and how God's master plan was dependent upon what he was about to ask him. And there is the oath which is taken. It seems quite bizarre, doesn't it, in our culture to see what was happening. But the oath which was taken with his hands under his thigh, a sign of commitment and a sign of absolute understanding of just how important this job is that is being asked of this man. The oldest servant, I believe we're reading here, of uh, Eliezer, whose name conveys the idea of God is my help. If you want to give a job to anybody, give it to a man who's called God is my help. Because that's what he was going to need to fulfill what was required. Now we know this story so well. And I don't propose to have a Sunday school lesson in our last few minutes. But I want us just to pause at one or two points, brothers and sisters, in the light of what we've said of being entrusted servants. I want us to see the Lord Jesus. I want it to prompt our own thoughts about our discipleship. And we've alluded to this idea of being kept in the narrow way. He's entrusted with a job to find a bride for his master's son. Here we are then, brothers and sisters. This is us. Isn't this our job? This is what we're called to do. We're called to go and find a bride for the Lord Jesus. For when he comes, he is looking for those who are prepared and ready. And that's our job. To go and find a bride. And the first step was our solemn oath, brothers and sisters, was it not? When we were baptized and we declared our belief in these things and committed ourselves to following in the Lord's way. We knew the responsibility. We are now undertaking a job for the master and for the master's son. And we've not been sent out empty-handed. What was it that uh, Eliezer was given, this faithful servant? Down in verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand. Hold that phrase, brothers and sisters. That's going to come up again later for us in our studies. But he's been given ten camels worth of riches. I don't know how much you think that looks like, brothers and sisters, but ten camels worth of riches. And we talk about the riches 
in Christ. We talk about Moses having that uh, decision to make, wasn't it? Of whether he would accept the, uh, the wonders and uh, the beauties and the gifts that could be offered in Egypt or to choose the riches that were there in Christ. And we're loaded up with riches, brothers and sisters. I brought mine, didn't I, through immigration. I've got the word here and all its riches. And you've got it too. And we've brought the riches. We've been entrusted with 10 camels worth of riches to go and find a bride for our master's son. And we travel like Eliezer in faith. We travel in prayer. We try and live up to Eliezer's name, knowing that God is my help. So when we preach, brothers and sisters, as faithful servants, we can preach knowing that God is my help. Can't we? He is there to help and sustain us and to give us what we need at those crunch moments. Indeed, a crunch moment is heading Eliezer's way, isn't it? As the story unfolds. Verse 11. There in Mesopotamia, he comes to the city of Nahor. And verse 11, he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, Please give me success this day and show kindness. Who to? To me? No. Show kindness to my master, Abraham. He hadn't forgot who he was working for, brothers and sisters. He was a long way from base, but he hadn't forgotten who he was working for. He is instant in prayer. He's been trained well, hasn't he? The servant of Abraham. That when faced with choices and circumstances where you know you can't manage on your own, you instantly ask the Lord God of Abraham for help. There's a lesson for us all. That's what he does. That we might be of support and value, not for ourselves, but for our master who we are serving. He opens his heart for help. We know the conversation that ensues. We know that he is blessed with the encounter that he has. Verse 18, when she says, drink, my Lord. Then she drank. So she said, then she quickly let her pitcher down by her hand and gave him to drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also, just as he had hoped and prayed for, until they had finished drinking. And she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, drew for all his camels, and the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. He had said the prayer. He had taken the steps. 
but he remained silent. Now, he may have been in silent prayer, but he was silent. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have to remain silent. We have to just sit and watch and wait while the Lord answers our prayers and things unfold. All things will work together according to the Lord's plan. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes we give up far too fast because it's not been as instant as it was for Eliezer. But we have to ask the prayer and we have to do the doing and we have to sit and watch and wait in silence. That's what Eliezer did. He watched and the prayers were answered in front of him. For when she had finished, he knew that this was the one. And with this wonderful demonstration that God had heard his prayer, in verse 24, when she says, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcar's son, whom she bought a Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and food enough and room to lodge. More evidence that this was the one, that God's hand had been at work. And if we look, brothers and sisters, we don't have to look too hard to see the Lord's hand at work. But are we like Eliezer as faithful servants? Do we do what he did? Verse 26, then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who was not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me being on the way. Some versions may say in the way. And the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So here's a lesson, brethren and sisters. I believe if we put ourselves on the way or in the way, in faith and in prayer, then the Lord will get us to where we need to be taken to. But we've got to be in the way first. It's no good as being back, as it were, waiting with Abraham. We've actually got to get out on the road. We've got to get out there with our ten camels worth. We've got to be in the way, asking our prayer. And being found in the way, the Lord hasn't forsaken him, but he's led him to the right house. The master plan is being worked out. The bride is being found because the servants were in the way. Isn't that what we have to do, brothers and sisters? We talk about preaching the word, but we've got to be in the way to preach the word. We can't do it just from our armchairs. We've got to be in the way. And if we're in the way, the Lord will direct us to find the bride. Because it's God's master plan. Not because of our brilliance. But blessed be the Lord God of my father, Abraham, because he is doing these things. God is being merciful to my master. He is helping me to find the bride for my master. But we have to be in the way. And having seen these things, the passage continues where we learn more of this great servant and Here I think we can see the Lord Jesus, can we not? When we find down at verse 31, when he reaches there with Laban, with Rebecca, we find down at verse 31. He said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. 
Look at this. Verse 32. Then the man came into the house. He unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Who do we know who washes feet, brethren and sisters? Who do we know who won't lay down his head until the work is all done? The servant of the Lord, brothers and sisters, his job's never done. How easy would it have been for you and I to have just sat back at this point and thought, boy, we've done a great job. We went out for Abraham. We found exactly what what he was asking us to do and feel really proud. And when someone says, oh, come in and put your feet up, that would have been the moment. Just put your feet up, relax. The work is done. Had Eliezer had a, had a mobile, he would have been texting back at that moment, wouldn't he? Job done. It's okay. We're sorted. But the servant's work is never done. And he is still an example to the others who were with him, who were on that same journey. This is us, brothers and sisters. We're on the journey. We're in the work. We're in the way. We've got the one who couldn't lay down his head till the work was done, who washes the feet of those who are workers with him. What a great example he is, brothers and sisters. And when he meets with Laban, and when he talks of these wonderful things and retells the whole story, what does he say? Verse 34 He says, I am Abraham's servant. That's how he introduces himself. I am Abraham's servant. Not I'm Eliezer. Not I'm actually the uh, longest serving member of a particular household. It's extremely well off in another part of the country. I'm Abraham's servant. We too, brothers and sisters, are servants of our Lord and Master. Wouldn't it be good if that was our spirit in our interactions with those with whom we come into contact? That humbleness of mind that the first thing we think and the first thing that we may not necessarily put into words, but that guides us in our language and guides us in our thought process. I'm a servant. That's all I am. I'm a servant. And I've been given a job and part of God's master plan. And it's brilliant. And I've got a small part to play. And if I'm in the right way, the Lord will guide me in that work. And I've traveled in knowledge that God would be with me. The Lord is my help, Eliezer. The Lord is my help. And down at verse 50, Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. There's no doubt. When you've got a good, honest, truthful servant of Abraham, declaring what he declares with such conviction and truth, for Laban there is no doubt. The thing comes from the Lord. If only we could speak with that conviction, brothers and sisters, that those to whom we speak these things, would say, God, this is, this is the truth, isn't it, what you're telling me? These are indeed incredible things. 
that have happened to you, that have brought you to me with this message. And we cannot speak against it, for it is God's will. Verse 52, and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words, that he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. When we see the response of those who accept the truth which we share, we have that same spirit of gratitude, brothers and sisters, that same feeling of wonderment that we must be on our knees and thank our Heavenly Father that his powerful word still works. So here's the first of our servants, a household full of them, a group of people from whom we, I believe, can find some really useful, practical thoughts that give us a glimpse of the Lord Jesus that maybe will just encourage us to think how we need to be really in the way. Trusted servants bearing great riches. There may indeed be found a bride for the master.